Welcome to the Dr. Nurse Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sandra Pagenta. I'm a doctorally prepared nurse practitioner, and I am so glad you decided to join me today. The Dr. Nurse Podcast is a podcast for nurses and nurse practitioners that are wanting to understand what exactly their degrees can do for them. After the birth of my son, I had this aching desire to have more flexibility in my career choices, despite feeling like all the alphabet soup after my name didn't really afford me very many options. I launched the podcast to find the answers that I so desperately needed. I also knew I couldn't be the only nurse who felt this way. Does this sound like you? If so, come and hang out with me as I figure out what our nursing degrees can give us access to as far as career flexibility, control over our schedules, and entrepreneurship by talking with NPs and RNs who are doing exactly that. Sit back and enjoy the conversation. Hi guys, and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Nurse Podcast. This week on the podcast, we do not have a guest. I will not be interviewing anyone. It will just be me talking about my birth story. I said that I would be coming on here to share my birth story at some point, and I'm at the six-week mark with Penelope. She is six weeks old, and I thought I had enough time to process everything, and that I felt ready to go ahead and share how it all went down. And I think the reason that sharing birth stories is important is because it offers an opportunity for me to bond with the women on the podcast that have had children or those that are considering having children. And I read a research article by a nurse titled Birth Stories, A Way of Knowing in Childbirth Education. And she describes how birth stories are an informal communication of knowledge about birth for expecting mothers. And I feel like women don't share enough about their birth stories and it has a lot to do with community and how we all kind of used to sit around and talk about what happened and that's a way that people were able to learn what happens when you have a baby and yet that's not something that we foster anymore, that community. And you guys know that I'm about community, especially for working moms in particular. I wanted to talk about this because Giving birth is not just about having babies. It's about women's lives, women's wisdom, women's bodies, and women's empowerment. The article is really good. It goes on to say that when positive birth stories are shared, special messages are conveyed that describe the courage and the power of women as birth givers, the integrity of the birth process, the sanctity of family, and thus the beauty and the delicacy of a maternal newborn interaction are conveyed. It really does make it, I think, sweeter. I think it makes it more special when you hear what people have gone through and they share it in a really public way. In the article, she talks about the willingness to share is an expression of the pervasive need to explain the unknown. During the process of actively seeking and sharing knowledge, fears are lessened and a sense of control over childbirth may be achieved. It relies greatly on relationships and communication, and it creates a bond with women and their shared history. I want to cultivate that. I want to create a bond with the people that listen to my podcast that will allow us to kind of see one another. And so yeah, I want to share this and I hope you guys enjoy listening to the story and how she got here. I think it's pretty powerful. I think it is humbling. And yeah, I hope you guys enjoy. Yeah, my birth story of Penelope. So here we go. If you follow me on Instagram, I was scheduled for a C-section on February the 8th. The reason why I went in for a scheduled C-section is because I had a C-section with my first baby. I felt very strongly that I wanted to have what 
I'm kind of describing in the earlier part of this podcast that I wanted more control. I wanted to not be putting myself in a position to experience any problems or possibly adverse outcomes with attempting to wait long or, you know, to see if I went into labor myself. I just felt like it was the right thing to do for me. Now, that being said, it did not come without fear and trepidation of surgery, right? You're having major abdominal surgery, which in my opinion is is risky and carries a level of fear with having surgery. I had to kind of process through your pregnancy that I'm headed towards a surgery, right? And so that's a different mentality than other moms might experience, but that was how I felt about moving forward towards the repeat C-section. I was open to it, so I was not closed off and thinking, oh man, this isn't something that I want. I just felt like this is something that I had to do because I had, I never labored with my first baby either. So diabetic, you know, did not go into any type of labor. I was over 40 weeks. I was 41 in two days when I went in for an induction and, and then ended up with a C-section at the end of probably about 12 hours on Pitocin with no movement in my cervix. So again, feeling like I was an unproven birther, and I'm using air quotes around that for those that are not watching on YouTube. I just said, let's just schedule this and just to make sure that, you know, we've got an end date here because there's no telling what my body will do. It was 39 weeks and four days. And so I went in for the C-section that morning. So left my toddler, which was definitely hard because I've never spent any days away from him since his birth. Uh, a little side note and caveat, that morning, I was up, of course, three o'clock in the morning, couldn't sleep, and just was searching PubMed for literature on VBACs, especially women that were geriatric, right? So I'm a geriatric mom, older mom, and for C-section mom, African-American women, all these different factors that I was kind of inputting into the search engines, trying to see what the literature says and I, I felt very strongly that I wanted to at least be checked before surgery. So we get to the hospital at 8 a.m. on the second case of the day. I get to the PACU, like check-in, all that other stuff, and the nurses hook me up. They're getting everything settled, and they tell me I need to go get changed, and my husband hasn't come yet. So I'm like, oh, I just want to wait on him to like help me get ready, and they were like, okay, that sounds fine, and I'm waiting for him on the side of the bed, and one of the nurses comes in, and she says, hey, just to let you know, you were second case, but now you're first, because first case is having problems, or she didn't show up, or something didn't happen with first case, and so she said, you're now going to be first case. Let's get ready. And I was like, okay, so I'm feeling kind of rushed. That's something that I, I wasn't liking. I wasn't liking that feeling of I had to hurry up and go get ready. I said, okay, I want to take my time. So I'm just gonna wait for my husband before I go. I think they could kind of tell like I was a little uncomfortable being rushed. When my husband showed up, I went and got dressed and I, we came back out and my doula called me. She said, how's everything going? And she said, all right, do you still want to be checked before surgery? Because I, I texted her that, 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 you know, early in the morning that I wanted to be checked. And she said, make sure to let them know I'm on my way. So she was on her way for surgery and I was gonna get my cervix checked before going back to the operating room. They came in to consent me, the nurses are putting IVs in me, they're doing all this stuff. Again, getting ready for first case. One of the doctors comes in and I was like, hey listen, I know you guys are in a rush to take me back to the operating room, but I really would like a vaginal exam just to see if anything's changed. If I'm completely closed, 
then it's just like my last pregnancy where I just wasn't progressing. And I want you guys to go ahead and just, we'll have surgery. That's fine. So they checked me and I came back as two centimeters dilated, 70% effaced, and she was in the negative three station. And so that was definitely different than what I had with my last baby after being on Pitocin. I'd only gotten to two centimeters after 12 hours on Pitocin. So I was like, wait a minute. So how's she doing on the tracing? So that was the other thing too. At that point, I was already on the tracing and they were watching her and she looked beautiful in the tracing. She was doing great. Her heart rate wasn't dipping. She wasn't doing anything funny and she's head down, right? So I just kind of felt like after getting all that information, I wanted to do at least a trial of labor to give her an opportunity to come into the world naturally instead of pursuing the C-section when I could tell that maybe my body was doing something on its own. They canceled the surgery. So first and second case that day did not end up happening. I went back into the labor and delivery room and they were going to start to start having having a baby and try to and see if I could do it on my own. One of the first things that I did when I got into the room after we dropped up all the stuff was I just started working out. And I know people are like, this is crazy, but I worked out during my whole pregnancy. I do something called street parking. And I did a street parking workout, which are like little short 12 minute workouts where they're like a hybrid CrossFit workout. And I took the the luggage and use it like a sandbag and just started lifting and I would do step ups and I would do modified push ups. I'm never going to forget the look on my nurse's face when she came into the room and she's like, what is going on in here? And I'm like, we got to get this baby out and I got to get moving because I could tell when I worked out during my pregnancy, it just felt like the baby loved it. And so I was like, let me just give her more of what she loves and let's see if that brings things on. What they recommended to start off the induction was to use a Cook catheter, which I'd never heard of this before. I did not get this option with my last pregnancy. So a Cook catheter is placed in the vagina and then inside of the cervix and it works to dilate the cervix. And I had that in, you can keep it in for up to 12 hours. When they put it in, they can also sweep your membranes. Uh, and they did that and they said, all right, let's just see how it goes. So I had that in for about eight hours. I was getting a little bit of progress with it. When I was checked, I ended up about four centimeters dilated when they took it out about eight hours later. I was pretty exhausted of having it in because it just hangs there the entire time. I was pretty, pretty tired of it by eight hours and I wanted it out. And again, having my mind open to the C-section at all times meant that when I was I would kind of go back and forth thinking like this could all be over with just a C-section. If I would just have the C-section, this would have been done. But now I've gone down this other route of having the catheter in and starting this other process of doing an induction. So the surgeon that I had signed up for delivered my first son. And so I wanted her to deliver my next baby. She did a great job. And so I felt like I wanted her to do surgery, but as I had this catheter in all day, she was going home for the day. So I felt this pressure of like, she's supposed to do my surgery. How can I let her go home? I'm just going to go get the surgery. Well, I had eaten uh, some food and so anesthesia would not take me back. So that doctor was leaving and she was like, she came into the room. She said, Sandra, I know you want me to do your surgery, but you've had food. And you've got the catheter in. At that time, I still had the catheter in. And so she's like, let's just see what you do. But I really think that you need to have some Pitocin on board to really bring about strong enough contractions to, to, to change your cervix. 
And for my listeners on here, I'm sharing this as my own personal story. This is not for everyone. Pitocin does wonders. However, with my first birth, I did not feel like it was something that I wanted for my second birth to be used. As much as I felt the pressure from the attending coming in and telling me that I needed to get some Pitocin in order to really advance my my delivery, I did not want it. And so my doula kept kind of checking in with me. Again, so, so pivotal to my story was her just keeping me true to myself and what I wanted for my delivery. And she said, do you want Pitocin? You've said that from the beginning, Sandra, that you didn't want that. So are you sure you want to change your mind? It's it's okay if you do, but I just want to make sure that you're being true to yourself. And I just told her, I said, I don't, I don't want it. So if I'm not able to get this cervix moving past two centimeters, which is what I got to in my last pregnancy, I said, we just go in and we get her. And I don't want to go over 40 weeks. I don't think it's wise. That doctor left. The next doctor came on. And again, here I am like attempting this feedback. And I'm on this opinion where I'm in two camps, right? I'm just like everything natural, do natural, you know, sweeping in the membranes. You know, you can put the catheter in, which isn't natural, but I don't want to use drugs is kind of what I'm, I'm feeling. And so she comes in and she's like, you know, you're really not a strong, like, V-back woman. You know, I don't really hear it in your voice that you're like, V-back or nothing. I think that has a lot to do with my mentality towards having Penelope, which was just, I want us to go home, like, safely. And I don't necessarily want to exclude surgery because I think that I'm supposed to have this story of a V-back, right? I just felt like I was really open to figuring out the, the puzzle pieces, right? Just listening to my body, watching her on the monitor, watching my contractions and figuring out what the next steps were along the way. And so she says, okay, well, let's just see how it goes. I'll take out the catheter because you're, you're, you're done with it and we'll see where you are. And I said, okay, so they pulled the catheter out She's had your four centimeters dilated, which is the most I've ever been dilated in my life while having a baby. And she said, I think we can break your water. I said, okay, let's do it. And so before they broke my water, I wanted to have an epidural in place in case, again, going back to being in both of those worlds. So being able to have a C-section while being awake, I didn't want to have to be put asleep in case she started having problems. So I had an epidural placed and then they broke my waters and I then waited. So my doula let me know that sometimes when they put an epidural and things can slow down, but that was not my experience. When the epidural was placed, things started moving more for me. So things started picking up. The doctor came back in and one of the the pivotal moments my doula had said, she said, the doctor came in, the one that had told me I really wasn't committed to the VBAC. And she goes, you look pretty good for a mom, not on pit. And I was like, really? And she's like, yeah, you're looking great. And she says, you're six centimeters dilated at that time. And she said, even if you don't make it all the way, Sandra, this was a success. And I I thought that was an interesting statement that like, even though she saw me being like, listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to have a V-back. I'm just giving my daughter a chance to come into the world naturally. She could tell that like, I needed a little bit of encouragement, but also she could see that like things were changing. She left um, at midnight and the next doctor came on. He came into the room and he, of course, introduced himself. He said, I'll be here with you until the morning. And he was like, just let me know how things are going. I know that you're not wanting the Pitocin. So we're just we're just open to whatever is going on. My doula was going to leave. 
um, cause it was midnight. She'd been with me from eight o'clock in the morning until midnight that night. She was working really hard to make sure that I was doing squats or getting into a different position after the epidural was placed. And I think one of the major moments and when they really started figuring out that I was in active labor, because again, up until this point, things are just, they're, they're moving, but they're still really slow. My dual is thinking about leaving because things aren't moving as fast. And she's like, okay, let's do a couple more positions. And she moved me after the epidural was placed to get on all fours. And so I was up on all fours and I started throwing up. And I was like, this is really weird. And the nurses get super excited. And the doula was getting super excited that I was vomiting. And she's like, this is active labor. And I'm like, this is crazy. I don't understand how me throwing up is a good thing. Like, give me something for this. And they were like, no, this is good. This is pushing her down. Like, you've got to keep letting her, you know, do that. And so I kind of moved through that. And then that's when the contractions started getting more regular and stronger and yeah, I I had the doctor come in and kind of check me, let me know, like, where are we? And he came in and I never forget the words that he said of, Sandra, you are complete, complete. And I was like, complete, complete, what? Like crazy? Like, what do you mean complete, complete? And so they said, yeah, you're complete, complete. You're ready to push. So I practiced pushing with the nurse for a period of time, probably about 45 minutes. And then the doctors came in and they took over. I'll never forget when the nurse at the hospital, she said, don't push anymore. Because <laughs> that baby's coming out. And I was like, wait, what? And so they got a mirror so that I could see her be born. And... They, I pushed her for an hour and a half and I, I delivered my baby via VBAC, an unplanned VBAC. And she was born four o'clock in the morning, 414 at seven pounds, 13 ounces and 20 inches long. And she, it's just an incredible story of how trusting your gut and listening to your intuitions and prayer can change the outcome of your delivery. And so I wanted to just wrap up this episode and, and, and say that I think the things that made the biggest difference in this pregnancy were my, my recent journey into health and wellness and really starting to understand what the effect of blood sugar has on your pregnancy and what it does to the baby. This baby in this pregnancy, I wore a continuous glucose monitor for my entire pregnancy. And again, this is not medical advice. So don't run out and be like, Sandra said it, she's a nurse practitioner, but I did wear a glucose monitor for my entire pregnancy so that I could maintain tight glucose control. I was told I am not gestational diabetic, which was an incredibly healing thing to say to the nurses that were like, you're gestational diabetic, right? And I was like, no, I'm not. And checking my blood sugar during my labor, I asked to have my blood sugar checked because I had to remove my glucose monitor and my blood sugar was stone cold normal on D5 or D50 or one of those sugar drips during, because I was NPO. That was something that I think changed the trajectory of my pregnancy. My first baby was large, was macrosomic. I think that it would have been difficult to have him vaginally since he was large. And then he was also, he also had issues with, you know, blood sugar because of the life that I was living. I think that's something to keep in mind that if you're a mom that is gestational diabetic or possibly, you know, considering or getting told that you are gestational diabetic, please take it seriously because it's not something that I necessarily did. I've always figured myself as relatively thin, relatively healthy looking, but finding out that the glucose was affecting my pregnancy, I believe that 
the glucose control that I had over this pregnancy made a difference. Just even in the weight of my daughter, my daughter did not have issues with blood sugar upon being born. That's just something to, to kind of keep in mind. The next thing that I think changed the outcome of my delivery was my doula. Absolutely hands down, having somebody there to advocate for me. She would recommend things like, oh, isn't there like a monitor she can wear that is wireless? She doesn't have to be connected because this mom really wants to get up and move. Having her advocate for me so that I could move around the room and work out and you know, get things moving with the catheter, the cook catheter in, that was, I think, a game changer. And having somebody in my corner to remind me what I wanted, what I believed in, what I felt in my heart was the thing to be true and to give me my options. So as I navigated through my delivery, she was there to go, okay, so they are saying this, but you know you have this option. Yes, they're saying this, but you know you have this option. I believe was absolutely tantamount to me having a successful VBAC. I don't believe that I would have had a VBAC if it was not for the doula that I had in the room walking every step with me. So for those of you that are thinking, maybe you want a doula, but they cost money or, you know, maybe I want a VBAC or whatever. I think that having somebody in your corner to, again, remind you of who you are, remind you of what you want and to honestly just walk alongside you is life-changing. I will say that. I also believe that, I believe that not being dogmatic or being so staunch that I needed to have a VBAC allowed me to have a VBAC. <laughs> and I know that sounds crazy. And especially because that doctor had said that to me and said, you aren't strongly advocating for the VBAC for yourself. I think by not doing that, it allowed me to be free and open to whatever was coming. And I believe that sometimes when you put pressure on yourself to have a certain outcome, it, I, I don't necessarily need, know that it always brings it about. It just brings a lot of anxiety and pressure that then you feel like you're failing if it's not going well. I did not put that pressure on myself. I just had this open mind of like, I just want my daughter to come home and I just want to go home. And so whatever gets us there, gets us there. And I don't necessarily need to have some story to brag about because that's not what this is about. And I think that goes back to this is women's lives. It's women's wisdom. It's women's bodies and it's women's empowerment. And I'm going to get it kind of on a soapbox here, but you are not more womanly for having a child via VBAC versus via C-section. I've now, as a woman that's had both, I do not believe either one of those make you more of a woman. I think the act of having a child is an incredible act of love, an incredible act of, you know, just celebrating what we're able to do as women. And I believe strongly that both ways are needed, necessary, and they are perfectly womanly ways of having a baby. And so I just want to say that, that just release control over the outcome and then trust your instincts. And so when I got into the hospital and they were rushing me, I love that I said, nobody rush me. I don't want to be rushed. I don't want to be rushed into surgery because if I'm going into surgery, I want to go in in peace and calm. And then by doing that and setting that tone for myself, I was able to then hear my voice a little bit louder by silencing the noise of everybody else. Going back to why I think this was successful was that I was quietly listening through the meditation that I've been doing in the last two years and 
hearing what it is inside my soul by quieting myself, I was able to go, I don't want to be rushed into surgery. If I'm going in to have surgery, I want it to be a peaceful thing. I don't want to feel like I need to hurry up and get ready by doing that. And then trusting my instincts of like, wait a minute, like she's coming down. Like she's making her way down. Like why would I stop her and pull her out with a surgery? I felt like, again, that was me trusting my instincts of like, no, I don't think that's right for me right now. Now, again, if she's in distress or if I'm not progressing, then we need to do the things we need to do to get her out safely. But at the same time, I said, no, I think that's what I'm hearing, that I need to give her an opportunity to come out. And so, yeah, I think that that is something that I think more of us need to do in those times is to not be so driven by the noise of the hospital and the schedules and the beeping of the IVs and of all the machines and just quiet ourselves, quiet our minds, quiet our hearts and listen to what we feel we need to do and to move in that and to trust your instincts. I think that that made a difference in my outcome as well. And then lastly is prayer. I'm not in control. And I I think as a parent, you learn very, very, very early on that you're not in control of this child that you have. And every child is different. And every delivery and labor is different. I believe that I was absolutely not in control of this situation whatsoever. It was my desire to listen to my instincts. It was my hope to release control over the situation. I had a coach in my corner, right? My doula coaching me through all the different things that were coming up and going, what does this mean? Translate this for me. Explain to me how I can navigate in this situation. I did the work of making sure that I took care of myself with blood sugar control and keeping my weight down and doing all those things. But in the end, and this is the part that I want you guys to hear me, that in the end, I'm not in control that the Lord delivered this baby. The Lord got her out. And the Lord is in control of every delivery. The first one that I had via C-section went exactly how it was supposed to go because I'm not in control. And so having him via C-section was a a beautiful thing because it saved him and I was able to go home with him. And this pregnancy and this delivery and this labor was redemptive in the fact that I did not have to have surgery, which I was concerned about and dreading. But at the same time, it allowed me to see that I was not in control, that even as I was trying to set up to have her and to get her out that day, and that morning at by 10 o'clock, I was supposed to have a baby. And the Lord just kind of showing me like, I'm going to have this baby, I'm going to get this baby out. And he did. Within 24 hours, I was holding her in my arms after coming into the hospital, not in active labor, which is pretty remarkable to go in, not in active labor, two centimeters dilated and leave with a little girl safely in your arms 24 hours later is nothing short of miraculous. And I give all the glory to the Lord because it has nothing to do with me. And so, yes, that is the extent of Penelope's birth in 30 minutes. I know this is probably longer than I thought it was going to be, but I just wanted to share that. And I wanted to share the things that I felt like could maybe help another mom or another woman that's expecting, that's listening to this, that's thinking about a VBAC or a woman that had a C-section that's like, oh man, I feel like such a failure. You are not a failure. You had a baby and you came home and the baby came came home. And that is something to celebrate. 
period, point blank, that is a blessing in and of itself. And yes, it is hard having children and it is never easy. And it is one of those things that we carry as women of the the guilt of perfectionism and the mom guilt of I'm not enough and I didn't do this and I didn't do that. But I just, I want you to hear that you are not enough. You will never be enough. God is enough and he will take care of you. And yeah, I'm just, I'm so thankful to have her and to be her mom. And I hope that you guys enjoyed this. Please message me if you have a birth story you want to share with me. I'd love to hear again, building that community of storytelling and sharing your stories. And if you have questions about things that I've done, or you want to meet my doula or any of that stuff, please um, message me. Thank you for again, listening. And I hope you guys have a great week. Next week, we will be on the podcast with Melanie. Her Instagram handle is Mel's Crafty Corner. That's the name of her shop. She'll be on the podcast sharing about her journey. And we'll actually talk about some really tough things that both of us have endured in our careers as nurses and why it's important to be true to yourself throughout your entire career. So stay tuned for that next week. And yeah, you guys enjoy the journey. So that's a wrap. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode and leave me a review. If you like the show, I would love to get five stars. The Dr. Nurse podcast is on the World Wide Web, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Patreon, and TikTok. Subscribe to my newsletter for updates on new podcast episodes and other information to help you on your own nursing journey. You can always message me at the Dr. Nurse podcast at gmail.com with any career professions that you are interested in hearing about. And just a friendly reminder, the information on this podcast is for educational purposes only, and the information should not be used in substitute for professional care by a medical provider. The information in this podcast does not represent medical or professional advice or services.